You're listening to Radio Primavera Sound, proudly presented by Cupra. Hello and welcome to Line Noise on Radio Primavera Sound. On today's episode, I spoke to someone who's truly done it all, Richard West, a.k.a. Mr. C., an MC, rapper, DJ, producer, label manager and nightclub owner who started out in London's club scene in the early 1980s, got involved in Acid House, joined The Shaman and became a pop star and then went back to the underground, running the Plink Plonk and Super Freak labels and also London club The End. I started off by asking him how he got into music. Yeah, thank you. It's, re- it's a real pleasure to be um, to be speaking to you, considering I've been listening to your music for um, more than thirty years. Um, so yeah, thanks thanks very much for for doing this. Um, and if you don't mind, I wanted to go like right back to the start. Like I, I read that you were emceeing in London clubs at the age of sixteen. So this means like nineteen eighty one. How did that happen? Yeah, well, well, I started I started emceeing at sixteen. Um, uh basically uh, i was into like the whole electro scene the break dancing robot robot dancing before that um we i was into all that and you know like all these kids were like you know there's me like 15 16 years old like into like the body popping and then break dancing started coming in and these young kids were coming up they were like 11 12 and they were doing things i couldn't even dream about doing i've never been supple i've always had very thin hair so spinning on my head was an absolute no and it was like okay how am i going to get stay a step ahead when these kids are wiping the floor with what anything i can do on a, on a piece of lino and I thought, okay, right, well, I'm going to start rapping and get on the mic. And it was me and my my pal Robert. Um, he kept calling him, uh, his DJ name was Double B. Uh, yeah, we started rapping together and writing lyrics together when I was 16. So that was when I started writing lyrics. Um, did some work in some CB radio breakers clubs at that in that in that year when I was 16. Like there, we used to meet up um, in pubs and community centres and have discs and stuff like that so I'd get on the mic at those sort of things uh, when I was 16 and in uh, 17 I rapped in my first nightclub and that was actually in Tenerife and it, that was it I was addicted after that so was that like electro music you were, you were rapping to hip-hop that kind of thing yeah and, and disco um anything that was sort of I liked it more upbeat um the hip-hop scene hadn't really started um in any big way um at that time i mean there was some you know there was the early grandmaster flash and the furious five before it went electronic and uh you know a few bits and pieces like you know obviously the cool herc and all the stuff that was coming out of uh new york at that time um uh, but i was yeah i was into the more disco side of it so like the rapping on disco and sort of like so disco of course and electro uh so there was always the more the upbeat type of thing that, that turned me on um and that was how i would rap my style my style of rap back then it was very um old school um very partly based on one side of it but also reality lyrics inspired by the message by grandmaster flash and all that sort of stuff um so yeah that was how i first started out as a rapper and, and cracked on like that um through my through my late teens i mean like do you think there's a big difference between like the mc and the rapper are they for they or for you are they kind of the same thing part and parcel of the same thing 
Well, I think they can be the same thing. Um, you know, like if I do an MC job myself um, and I'm comparing, because an MC is a master of ceremonies and it's their job to compare events. Um, but there's MCs out there that I wouldn't call them rappers. You know, they just jeer up the crowd. They're not really rappers. Um, I'm more of a rapper than an MC. Well, I was when I started, and then I soon learned the hard way and had to learn to MC pretty quick. Um, but yeah, so they are they are different because you know a rapper is going to be is someone who's going to be rapping and flowing with a rhythmic style of the lyrics, uh, whereas MCs is more about jeering up the crowd. So they are a little bit different, I guess. And the kind of things you did with the shaman, where would you put that on sort of the scale between like being a rapper and being an MC? Because I kind of see him as being quite down the middle, if you see what I mean. Like I could imagine someone doing that in a club, but it's also a lot more skillful than, you yeah, know. No, it's definitely rap uh, more than MC. I mean, obviously, when I'm doing a live gig, I'm going to be talking to the crowd and everything because that's what you do. You get involved. You form a telepathic community you interact you become one thing of one organism so that is that interaction and i mean if you call that emceeing then every single rock star in the world is an MC. um you know uh so i know i think it's a di i think they're, di they're very different things and with the shaman it was definitely rap um you know rap is a, a, obviously a fantastic way of putting across a song an idea or a way of life in the form of lyrics um, on music, uh, and I think that's definitely what I did with The Shaman. And you recorded your first track in August 1987 with Eddie Richards, right? That's correct, yeah, Page 67, that was called. How did that happen? Well, um, it, it was 1986, I returned to the Camden Palace. Um, I'd been there in, at the end of 84, um, and I was like, Colin Favor was DJing there, with may rest in peace, with um, Chris Forbes from Capital Radio, and it was my local, the Camden Palace. Um, so I popped in, I was in there, and I, I'm all like, by this time, I'm blagging it on the mic wherever I could go. So I've gone up to the booth and I said, Can I get on the mic, please? And they're like, well, To Colin Favour. And he's like, Well, what do you mean? He's like, I'm like, I said, I'm a rapper. He said, Oh, what? You, you rap along? I went, No, no, no. And I rapped in his ear, and he went, Oh, that's good. Um, I said, Can I get on the mic? I'll tear this plate for bar. He's like, Yeah, of course you can. He got me on the mic. And I, I smashed it up. It was brilliant. It was the whole place went mental. It was great. Proper bit of MCing and rapping. Um, and then uh, that was end of 84. And I went back to early 86. Uh, and I hadn't been back for a while. And Colin Favour was there again. He was playing with Eddie Richards. And uh, by that time, I'd switched my style to house music by 86 and I'm rapping about jacking your body and all that like house and all the rest of it. Uh, I've gone up to Colin. I said, oh, do you remember me? He's like, no, <laughs> well, I, I was here about 15 months ago and I rapped and he's like, Oh yeah, I remember you're really good. I said, do you mind if I get on the mic again? He said, not at all, but look, we just started playing house music. So come back in about half an hour. And we'll, when we get some hip hop on, I said, no, I don't, I don't rap on hip hop anymore. He said, what do you mean? I said, I rap on house. He said, nobody raps on house and he came in and I started rapping about jacking your body easier he went oh lovely I said what you got lined up he said this um nitro deluxe this brutal house and I go on in oh, let me get on that one and he's gone all right give me the mic 
that was it. The place hit like there were people climbing the walls and going mental. And Eddie Richards, who was DJing as well, was like, "Oh, this is amazing! You, you've got to come in the studio and make some music." I was like, "Yes, there is a god. The breakthrough is about to happen." And uh, Colin Favor, like, "Yeah, come and do um, on my radio show on Kiss FM." I'd already been doing radio with like LWR, with Ron Tom and Jasper the Vinyl Junkie and Jazzy M in the years previous. But it was nice to you know be going on with Colin Favor on kiss as a guest mc in 1986 and you know just sort of getting a bit more involved this is before i was a dj so and um, that was what made me go into the studio with eddie we became friends and um i went up to his uh studio in milton Keynes, and um you know he said what do you think of this song and he played me a demo of a very 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 deep house tune and i thought well it's not really something you want to rap because rap needs to be like, well, hey, you know, a bit lively if it's going to hit house. Um, and, uh, yeah, I said, can I do a spoken word on this? He said, well, what were you thinking? And I'm like, well, I'm into meditation and, you know, I'm into this thing called positive thinking and the law of attraction. And if you think certain things, you can make them happen if you think about them repetitively. And, and if you meditate with it, it really accelerates it. Meditation is a magical thing. And I'd like to just talk about that for five minutes. And he's like, all right, let's give it a go. So um, we sped the track up a little bit. And I did, I did a spoken word vocal. And then once I'd finished recording, it was one take, slowed it down, it just sounded brilliant. And it was me banging on about the, the, the great things about meditation. And that was, I've seen that described as your first house track, but was that your first ever record you'd made? Ever, yeah, both. First yeah. house track, first record, first vocal on a record, yeah. And from there you got interested in DJing, right? Yeah, well, I knew I kind of wanted to anyway, but once I'd done that, and, you know, I thought, right, okay, I've got to give up my day job, which was a milk round at the time. Um, you know, I've got that record and I'm giving out a promo and it was August 1987. I'm giving out a promo of the record in clubs and that, and I'm like, you know, I really need to get give up this day job and cut, I'll cut my security blanket away from my, myself. So, you know, challenge myself uh, to get involved. And, you know, I, want, I thought, you know, I wanted... Once that record came out, I knew there was more to being a vocalist. I knew I wanted to make music. I'm not bad at playing keyboards. I know beats. I thought I want to start making it. I wanted to start DJing. Um, because I'm a rapper, I know the breaks. I know when you're meant to come in and come out, where to mix, where not to mix. Uh, you know, I've got a fantastic ear. I could mix easily anyway. Like bit pitch, bit like beat matching was easy for me. And I thought, you know what? Um, promoting events and DJing is the way forward for me as an artist and a vocalist and a songwriter. So I took that step and started putting on my own events and DJing and getting my mates to DJ with me. And it just exploded immediately. I mean, you were the resident at the RIP nights at Clink Street. Um, those are legendary parties. I've heard many, many tales that sound all sounds amazing, really. What, what were they like? Oh, it's the next level. Um, but yeah, for me, it was the true birth of rave culture. Um, you know, there were parties on before that, like I think the very first all-night warehouse party for acid house music uh, was Hedonism over in Hangar Lane in the late 87 and one in early 88, and they were brilliant. Um, I worked at both of those as well. But, like, something at Clink Street started to happen. Um, you know, we'd done a couple of rip parties before that down in Evershult Street in Houston, and they were pretty mental. Um, but there was something about Clink Street that... that, that 
I don't know, it just changed things. Um, the, I remember the first party, uh, we put it on, it's two o'clock in the morning and it wasn't busy, there wasn't many people there and Paul Rip was getting a bit pa like para, like digi, like no one's coming. I went, all right, cool. And I give me out to one, I went down to the West End and hit a few clubs with a load of, like, load of flies with a few mates, went mental. By the time I got back at 4.30 at the warehouse, it was rammed, <laughs> I was going nuts. Um, it, and it just kicked off and there was something about it um, you know it was proper young urban switched on London looking for something new and fresh and if you think you know we were under the iron grip of Thatcher at the time and in a recession and there was a rebellious nature of something that needed to stand up and be counted and there was this brand new music coming in from America from black Chicago and black Detroit and New York and it was like there was this new drug that hit the scene at the same time called it ecstasy or MDMA and everything sort of converged at uh, uh, into a sweet spot at uh, one place at one time and that sweet spot was clink street and the rip parties and magic happened and a, a scene was born and community started and all of a sudden there was rave culture and uh, that was for me the birth of it you know and it was there that you met charles the shaman's manager right that's right, yeah. I mean, that's where I met Charles Kosh. He, he, he came down uh, and got involved, started doing his own parties as well that I played at for him. But yeah, that was where I first met Charles Kosh. Meeting with Charles Koch led to West adding a guest rap to the Shaman's Progen, which became a massive hit in the UK in 1991. I asked him how it felt to have this kind of success. So... Uh... It, as Moving Mountain, when that was re-released, it became a massive success. I think it was number four in the charts. Like, how were you surprised by that success? How did you feel about it? Uh, no, not at all surprised. It was a cult hit for a year, uh, over a year, in, in all the clubs before um, it became a, a pop hit. It was the same Beatmasters pop version. We didn't redo the pop mix in any way because it did get to number 53, um, in early 1990, it was in the charts, but low, yeah. And and it was basically it was a, just a case of re doing a, doing a, a posher video, um, and, and getting that getting it played on MTV. I think it, that was about the strength of it. Of course, by the time it got to 91, we've got other remixes, other club mixes of it as well. So that reinforced it in the clubs. Um, you know, there's house versions and techno versions and versions for all, like basically everybody. Um, no matter what genre you're into so it, when it got re when it got re-released in 91 it was with an arsenal of re club remixes and a brand spanking new video that put it in its rightful place in the top five so when did you formally join the band I finally joined, it was just after we'd finished doing the uh, video, well, during the video shoot for Move Any Mountain, and we was in Tenerife um, doing that, and Will and Colin um, said they wanted to consolidate the band with a, a rapper and a vocalist, and like so to make it like a proper, not just the two of them with guests anymore. They wanted to get that that now down. And I was the I was the rapper and the MC and all that that they wanted. Obviously, um, I had quite a lot of um, talents to exploit. With you know, I'm I'm a, I'm a quick songwriter. I'm good at taking ideas and running with them. I'm uh, good at improvisation. Um, I'm, 
excellent at writing beats and I, my, I, I love playing deep chords and tri trippy melodies and so you know as a producer there's lots there's a there's a lot that can come from me rather than just vocals so uh, you know being a dj being a promoter being a songwriter being a producer i think all these things gave it a little bit extra that gave me a lot of value to the band so they asked me to join and i was like yes immediately i'm about time i've been waiting for a year for you asked me and uh joined there and then um sadly two weeks later we lost will um in he drowned um off just off the coast of gomera la gomera which is another island in the canaries there and uh, he was taken by the undercurrent whose girl told him not to swim in a certain area because she's a strong swimmer and struggled and he didn't listen and got taken from us so maybe we'll sin it um real shaman he was too may you rest in peace and uh the band almost finished then it was it was a tra tragic time for us well i was going to say like um Obviously, when when you got together to record more music after that, um, he he had died, and you were new in the band. Um, was there like a conscious effort to do something different? No, uh, no. The, the conscious uh, look, every single Shaman album was completely different from the last. Yeah, yeah. Um, it's it's an, about an evolution of music and human individuals and artists expressing themselves. Yeah, and if you look at the way it went, all, all the albums went right from you know the beginning, from the drop, from the forward, and intact, and then Bosch Drum, and 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 and, and, and Axis Mutatis, and all the all of the albums. The progression is is the change is very obvious. Um, ha however, I don't think we changed. You know any in any significant way that it wouldn't have if had will stayed um uh, you know we was all on the same tip will was banging to his techno um like big big time uh, and you know that was the way it was all heading anyway so um i don't think that it would have been much different to how it was i mean obviously look will's a genius and he had balls bigger than a fucking elephant's nuts part of what's part of my language um and you, you, that you, you know obviously without that character in the band you're going to miss it no matter what and he would have added his thing to that band that he wasn't added because he wasn't there so it would have been different had, had he been there but i like to believe that we was you know the, the band evolved into the same direction it would have anyway under the masterful leadership of colin angus so did you ever sort of try to make a hit though because i mean or, or did it did it just kind of happen no we tried to make it so why what was i thinking there just because you wanted to connect with as many people as possible or you wanted to subvert the nation's youth yeah absolutely <laughs> <laughs> Well, I've always, as I was going to say, I've always thought of the Shamans are quite a subversive band. Um, you know, like you got Revolution as a song, and like um, you know, behind all that. So yeah, what would like? How? Where did that come from? That kind of subversive idea. I think I think rebellion. Um, uh, like Colin and Will were both about both activists. Were are both activists. Um, I'm a I'm a I'm a street kid, rebellious street kid with activist undertones, and um, you know I think like we've got an opportunity to have a lot of fun doing something. We've got an opportunity to really, you know, we're all young men here. Um, we we want to have a laugh. We want to enjoy ourselves, and here we have an opportunity to push a psychedelic 
um, lifestyle uh, with psychedelic information and uh, information that can help people evolve into the, their next self and we've got an opportunity to be able to do that taking as much piss out of the mainstream of society as possible why wouldn't anyone in their right mind want to do that and that's what we did the shaman went on to have a british number one hit with ebenezer good one of the most controversial songs of the rave era uh, i asked richard about his experience of topping the charts um so how, how did it feel to have a number one hit oh it was brilliant um it, it was a lot of fun and it was what we, you know, it was like, yeah, winner, winner, chicken dinner. This is what we're trying to do. We want number one hits. We want to make massive hits that are going to wind everyone the fuck up. Oh, sorry, that's what I mean. That are going to wind everyone up. And it's like, um, you know, we want to do, we want to, we want to have a laugh with this. We want to go on TV. We want to do, we want to push it. We want to push people's buttons. And it's exactly what happened. You know, we were builders like this evil acid house band subverting the nation's youth in all the newspapers. And it was all that. It was brilliant. You couldn't have made it any better than it would turned out. Um, and yeah, when it got to number one, it was a little bit of a shock. Um, Going from being this sort of uh, an underground house and techno DJ, people won't give a second glance to walking up the street unless they'd known me from spinning in a dark, seedy warehouse party, to being an international pop star pretty much overnight was a bit of a shock. And it was kind of like that. Um, I didn't really get that much recognition on the streets after moving the amount that became a hit. Oh, the odd look. Um, same with Love, Sex, Intelligence, the odd look. But once Ebenezer Good landed, that was it. It was all over. I was like, I tried to, to, to go out in disguise and like, glasses and baseball cap and that. And did you then, sort of after Bostrom, did you then make a conscious effort to go a bit more underground again with Axis Mutatis? Not really. Um, I mean, obviously, like we wanted to keep moving because, I mean, if you look at, uh, at the um, Bosch drum album, you look at like all the songs on there, like Space Time and uh, you know, uh, Re-Evolution, Fat Man. I don't think anything on Axis Mutatis was any more underground than those tracks. You know, so we was already doing that. And like that was that's a big part of what the shaman was about. I mean, to be fair, we're not we, we didn't make pop songs. Well, we didn't finish pop songs. We were making songs for nightclubs and for alternative situations. And we had to get people like the Beatmasters to do our cheesy mixes because we we couldn't really do them like the way they could. Those big sounding radio mixes wasn't really our skill. So we had to get other people to do that, which is fine. You know, we not we're not proud. Um, so I think that the, the Axis Mutatis album that it did obviously we did want to show a more adult contemporary side of the band, um, especially with the remix album Arba Bona Arba Mala, which is a completely experimental piece of electronica on a real journey. But you know, if you look at the, the pop songs, uh, um, Destination Eschaton, uh, Trans Amazonia, Heal the Separation. All of those songs there uh, were just as much pop songs as Love, Sex, Intelligence, Bosch Drum and Forever People. So I don't think that, you know, the main pop tracks were any more underground or pushing any in a, any other different direction. But the, the rest of the album that makes an album an album did take an evolutionary leap from Bosch Drum to Axis Mutatis for sure. In 1998, The Shaman released their last album, UV or Ultimate Voyage, their own moksha label and split up with Mr. C concentrating on DJing 
running the end, production, uh, and also overseeing his own record labels. I wonder what the transition was like from pop star success to the underground. Was it hard to sort of transition from that life to your life afterwards? I mean, you'd be massively successful afterwards, but was it like hard to, to go from, from, you know, where you were like a pop star to sort of, you know, very owning one of London's best venues and being like a sort of underground DJ? I always did that. So, you know, even whilst like, you know, my Tony with the Shaman was happening, I was doing like, you know, in 1991, I did the release parties with my friend Nathan Coles, me, rest in peace. Um, he, he, he and I did these mad parties monthly, uh, underground house and acid and Detroit techno every month and in 91 in 92 i went on to do the harmony parties deep house parties underground as you like with my friend unique um in 93 uh end of 92 i started plink plonk records obviously whilst shaman were massive in 92 and 93 uh did the drop parties the small underground parties on a monthly basis in london and then started doing um off of plink plonk and the drop parties um up, like up, other little events um uh, vapor space which started off in a little place in holborn and then went on to uh, the site in kensington and then to the fridge in brixton and it was then it was at the end of 95 i opened the end so if this is a dumb question but like did you ever get was there ever a time when people turn up expect you to play like the Beatmasters edit of ebenezer good and you know obviously <laughs> yeah <laughs> Uh, there was one time I got booked. It was a Mecca club. I can't even remember. It was in some mid Midlands, north, northern Midlands, Midlands. I can't even remember where it was. Uh, massive club. Oh, I must have been about 3,000 people or something like that. And they booked me to play because they thought they was getting, you know, Mr. C, the pop star, to come play loads of te techno pop. And I just smashed it, acid house and techno, just give it to them put their pants down and tore them a new one. It was brilliant. Um, but like half the people were like, didn't know what to do, were in shock. And the other people went, other half of them went mental. But yeah, it's happened. <laughs> it didn't happen long and it didn't happen. I, I never got repeat bookings at those places. <laughs> Richard explained to me that he thinks the shaman are more understood now than they were in the 1990s. So I asked him why. When you say the band are more understood now, do you think people get the more subversiveness? No, I think they get the more spiritual spiritual side of the band. Um, you know, back then I was painted to be some, some sort of a lunatic in all the magazines and like uh, your Inkies, your Monotony Maker and NME and all them crappy newspapers and the, the Star and all that, and that tabloids. I was painted to be this evil lunatic that was a bit off off his nut and was talking about aliens and stuff like that. So, you, you know, you couldn't talk about issues um that you can freely talk about today without being mocked in some way 30 odd years ago um you know when i was telling people about meditation and being able to make things happen by thinking about them repetitively and the power of positive thought all my mates said i was a i was a lunatic that was it i was mad and now everyone talks like that that's normal now uh, because we've changed we've gone through the change that was coming. We've passed into uh, the age of Aquarius. We've reached the end of a 5,000 year Mayan calendar and the end of dominator culture. And that's why the world is in such a confused mess because people don't understand what the change is. 
and you've got the evolved ones and the unevolved ones and that's the way it is and you know people are going to keep as people get uh, educate themselves they'll change and they'll learn but we're in it we're in the middle of the change now and you know f for me it's we're in a magical time and being able to see the you know what is actually going on how the universe actually works you know knowing that it's an illusion and people understanding when you like 25 years ago i couldn't say to someone everything is an illusion and they they just say i was mad now i can say oh everything is an illusion and people start to want to discuss that with me and then when you talk about the way atoms move and uh, you know a proton is surrounded by a neutron and an electron vibrating at a certain speed with an identical atom creating something that you perceive to be real because you're thinking about it and this stuff being confirmed by scientists under the name of quantum physics really makes you go hold on a minute <laughs> we've gone somewhere we've changed yeah has changed so this is what all of our songs that were about all of these issues would be more relevant today than they were 25 years ago because now everyone gets it i think if these songs were all released again there will be massive hits you're listening to radio primavera sound proudly presented by cupra 